What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. So glad to be with you on this Friday evening. I am John Harris, your host each and every Friday evening for All Access. Football analyst at Southland Reporter, and very thankful. And I'll tell you why I'm thankful later in the show. I'm very thankful to be doing this show. Well, for, for plenty of reasons, but I think this weekend in particular is one in which we all should give thanks because about 71,000-plus of us will be in NRG Stadium. Thousands of you will be watching the game on home, at home, and you it's another Texans Sunday, right? It's just a Sunday. You watch Texans football. That's just what you do, win, lose, draw. It doesn't matter. That's what you do on Sunday, right? Well, this Sunday, of any Sundays, just stop and think about what you'd be doing if the Texans weren't here. But the Texans are here, and they're here thanks to the hard work of a man that we're going to recognize on Founders Day, that being the founder of this team, Bob McNair, who on October 6, 1999, finally got the thumbs up that the 32nd franchise in the NFL was going to be the Houston franchise. Now, we didn't know the name of the team, didn't know the coaches and all that kind of stuff. Didn't even know what Energy Stadium was going to look like. But they had a plan, and Bob McNair was the man who led that plan and brought us to where we are today. I wrote about this uh, earlier on Friday, thinking about bye weeks. I think about bye weeks all the time. Those bye weeks are weird. Um, playing on a Monday night was weird because you see all these games happening on Sunday, and you're typically a part of it, and then all of a sudden, you're not. You're just sitting there watching at home like, man, this is weird. And I- I've said this before, Mark and Andre and me, we all kind of get on a group text as we're watching games like, this is weird. I feel like I should be somewhere because it's such a part of our Sunday ritual to be in a stadium somewhere, calling a game, getting ready for a game, all that kind of stuff. What if we, what if the whole city had those every single week? As in, what if we didn't have football here? I mean, what, what would we do? What would we do with that? And I look, I know the Texans can be, can be you know, frustrating and there have been games that you wanted them to win that they didn't and, well, you'd like to win a championship and people want it to happen faster. Um, they want it to happen sooner than later. I, I, I get all that. I understand that. But, man, sometimes step back and go, we have football here. We lost it for three years and then some. It was a three-year difference between when the Oilers left and the Texans found out they were going to be in existence on October 6, 1999. So we ended up going, what, six years without football. I'm not saying that, oh, golly gee, we didn't win. Oh, that's okay because we have football. I'm not saying that. But every once in a while, I'll just step back and go, you know what? We have football. We have NFL football in this city, and that's something to be very, very thankful for. So we will give thanks later in the show with one of the coolest things I think that we've done that was spearheaded by Drew Doherty. Uh, that you'll hear in the final segment, which kind of tells the story through Mr. McNair's eyes of how the franchise came to be. There's stuff in there that I listened to. I was like, I didn't, I didn't know that. Holy cow! I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't remember that. And Drew tells a really, really good story. So we'll have that later for you. We will also have on this show Carlos Hyde, El Guapo. DP City sat down with him for our deep slant interview of the week. So we'll have that. We'll have my first community credit union first glance keys to the game. How will the Texans get a W? In this game against the Atlanta Falcons, the potent and explosive Atlanta Falcons. Mark Vandermeer is going to stop by. We do this once a week. It's the only time all week that Mark and I get to sit down and actually talk about what's going to happen in the game, what we think is going to happen in the game, and things to look forward to. So we'll have that for you. I've got my predictions for all games, straight up and against the spread. And then our final segment, I turn it over to the players most times. And I do tonight. we got B-Scar TV, Play Reporter, brought to you by Arctic. And we've also got... Drew Doherty's, the final word of Drew Doherty, and this week is DJ Reader. But I've got that extra special little podcast that Drew did. 
that I think is the perfect capper to take us into the weekend to kind of tip a cap and just say thanks to Mr. McNair, who will go into the Ring of Honor on Sunday on Founders Day. So we got plenty to do. So let's get this show rolling with some hot reads. Hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And each and every Friday, we start off with the head coach of your Houston Texans, Bill O'Brien. Coach, how do you see this team on offense? Because they can move the football. They've been in opposing territory a lot, just haven't been able to finish drives. So what are you looking at when you look at their offense? Yeah, I mean, I think Matt Ryan's the second-leading passer yardage-wise in the league. Um, You know, I think that they've moved the ball quite well. I mean, they have a lot of weapons uh, with Julio Jones and Sanu and Ridley and then the tight end Hooper and then the back Freeman, the other back White. They've got a lot of good players. Their left tackle is a great player, Jake Matthews. So I think what what it's come down to for them is turnovers. You know, they've turned the ball over quite a bit, and uh, they've had some untimely penalties, but they're a very dangerous team. Uh, they're, they're a few short way, years away from being in a Super Bowl. You know, they, it wasn't long ago they were in a Super Bowl. Matt was an MVP. So, you know, they've got a great uh, team, in my opinion. We've, we've got a big challenge ahead of us. They haven't run it as well as they've wanted to, but uh, numerous guys out of their camp this week said, we've got to get back to running the football. Is it still about stopping the run for you first with a lot of these teams you face every week? I, I think so. I mean, I think if you can get uh, get the offense behind the chains, you know, if they're second and 10 and then they're third and 10 or even if they're third and 12, I mean, we saw that last week with us. I mean, we were behind the chains on third down the whole day. So I think if you can stop the run and, and not allow them to get uh, to third and five, third and four, uh, I think that's a big part of your game plan. So if we can do that, then that allows our pass rushers to really take over the game, which I think we have the ability to do. Now, defensively, they've put pressure on the quarterback but just haven't gotten a lot of sacks, and they haven't produced the takeaways they've wanted to. But it seems like they're getting some penetration there into the backfield. Yeah, their defense is built on speed. They ha- they have a lot of speed. They- they've got a great inside defensive tackle named Grady Jarrett, uh, number 97. Hopefully we don't hear his name called too, too many times. Uh, he's a great player. And then they have two guys off the edge in Beasley and McKinley that are very, very good players. They've got speed at linebacker and Trufon at corner. They've got a lot of talent, and I think that, uh, you know, they've they've, they've had some uh, some good snaps this year that we've watched, and we've got to be ready. It's a big uh, big challenge for us. You've run the football well this year, and i got to imagine that's something you want to continue, but you want to finish more drives. We have to. I mean, we, we've done it. We've done that pretty well in two games, but two other games we haven't done that, so we've got to find some consistency. I think we need to continue to run the ball. We've got to you know, definitely improve in the passing game quite obviously. But, uh, you know, when we've been in the red zone, we've been pretty good. But we, we have to get in there and we've got to finish drives. Last year you were top two in drive start offensively and defensively. And this year there have been some weird situations changing some of that. How do you see that part of your game and how important that is against Atlanta? I think that's very important every week. I mean, I think if you can play the field position game, you know, if it's a third and long near midfield, let's let's get out of it. Let's punt. Let Brian punt. He's punting very well and put it inside the five and then make them drive. And if we can go three and out, we get it on a short field. So I think we've got to really do a better job of playing the game, managing the game in all three phases. And I think if we do that, we'll find more consistency in how we're playing. Coach, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck. Thank you, Vinny. All right, let's get to our next hot read, and that is going to be... Texans Audio Jukebox. Yes, give me a little Texans Audio Jukebox. And today, you know what? That means we're going to go meet a new Houston Texan, and that would be Mike Adams. Now, I was emceeing an event today for the Battle of the Piney Woods tomorrow, and I had the opportunity to interview... Casey Keeler, who is the head coach of the Sam Houston State Bearcats. And he made a comment at some point about, yeah, you guys just signed one of my players. And I was like, man, who do we sign for Sam Houston State? Then I realized he's talking about Mike Adams 
from Delaware. From Delaware. And Mike was actually asked about winning that national championship back in 2003 when he was playing for the Blue Hands and playing for Casey Keeler, who's going to be in the Battle of the Piney West tomorrow at Energy Stadium. I think that my greatest memory of that was just putting up a goose egg, them not scoring at all. And from a defensive standpoint, that's like huge. I mean, it's the biggest stage ever, and they, and they lay an egg. That's nice. When you can shut a team out completely, that's the best. There's no, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Now, let's fast forward to taking on the Falcons. And Adams talked about facing the Falcons and said, yeah, the record doesn't really tell you who the Falcons are. This is an explosive group. We've got a big challenge ahead of us. I think they're still capable. I think their record doesn't show who they really are. You know, a lot of people looking at their record like, oh, this is a walk in the park. But no, uh, they get paid too. And, and and the difference is a lot of people looking at the record, but we're watching the tape. We're watching the film on these guys, and these guys are pretty good. So we, we, uh, we, we got a big challenge ahead of us, but we'll be ready. Yeah, they're going to be ready. There's no question about that. And hopefully Mike's going to be ready. I don't know how much of this defense he knows. I'm not totally sure, but this is, a, as he said, a capable capable team there's no question about that he talked about playing the Falcons said it's always been sort of fun and interesting and hopefully he's saving a little bit for Sunday against them obviously I played against these guys the last couple of years but uh, you know um, it's, it's gonna be fun and interesting but I saved that <laughs> he said he played him when he was with the Panthers he was with the Colts for a long time he's with the Panthers the last couple of years so he's seen this group a couple times a year for the last couple of years so it's obviously good to have a guy like Mike Adams in the locker room for your Texans. Let's move on to DeAndre Hopkins. Now we talk about, we're going to talk about the offense later in the show as we do our first community credit union first glance keys to the game. Hop talked about what this group can really do that they've got some explosive pieces, got playmakers everywhere you look. Oh yeah, uh, you know a couple plays here and there, but uh, you know with this offense. We can turn on real fast. You, know, you got playmakers everywhere. That's true. There's no question. Hop obviously is one of them, but he's going to face a defense that features a corner, Desmond, Desmond Trufant, who played very well up until last week against the Titans. People thought he was playing some Pro Bowl football through the first three games of the year. Hop talked about playing against that guy and playing against his Falcon secondary. Um, you know, they got a, they got some talent over there. They got Trufant. Uh, you know, they got some some tall guys. They got a little bit of everything. I know they down in safety, um, but, you know, they still got guys that are making plays out there. Now, the last time a team was down in safety was the L.A. Chargers, and the Texans found that all game long. What the Falcons did last week was they put DeMonte KZ at safety, who is typically the nickel, and they went that way. I don't know if it worked out exceptionally well, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go back to it with Keanu Neal out for the year. He got injured against the uh, Indianapolis Colts, and that's a big loss for them. So they're missing his physicalness, his physicality, his leadership. They're missing a lot with Keanu Neal out. But anticipate DeMonte KZ is the safety that will step in for him. Texans could attack him, no doubt. Now, Pop's been around here for a long time. He's seen a lot of different things. He knows this is a good team, and he knows this team knows what to do. Um, you know, we've been here before, and um, I mean, you know, worst situation. So I feel like, you know, this is a new team with some of the guys that were here last year. I'm pretty sure some of the new guys, uh, you know, start the season off like this. We know we have a good team, and we know what we got to do. They know what they've got to do. I feel like I've heard that before, and James Harden said that about the Rockets. And the Rockets went out and got Russell Westbrook. 
I don't think the Texans can go and get Russell Westbrook, but they know what they have to do. And offensively, look, it's pretty clear what this team has got to do. Hop and the guys know. They hit a couple of those passes that they missed on last week, and this offense is going to, going to be rolling. It's just a matter of doing it consistently. So there you go. That is Texans Audio Jukebox. And that'll do it for your hot reads on this Friday evening. Again, hot reads sponsored by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Now, coming up each and every Friday, we have our Deep Slant Interview of the Week. Wednesday, we go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu. On Friday, we do our Deep Slant Interview of the Week. This week, how about Carlos Hyde? El guapo! Yes! He is going to step into the studio, and DP is going to have a chance to interview him for the first time. And I know every time that player comes to the Texans, I always think about, man, what's that deep slant interview going to be like? It's a good one with Carlos Hyde, DP Sitter's deep slant interview, sponsored by Xfinity, coming up next on Texans All Access. I've said this often, and many of you know that I used to be a teacher. So this note is going out to all you teachers out there. First of all, thank you. Thank you for all you do for all the students that you see in helping with our youth today and trying to get them to be solid citizens contributing to our society. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, I ask you this. You want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. You want to know how to get the kids with math? Introduce them to a sport. Rockets, Astros, Texans, whatever it is. Show them a sport and how math is involved in that sport, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, boys, girls, they'll love it. They will absolutely love it. And you'll get more out of them as it pertains to math. Toro's Math Drills helps you do that. HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. All right, how about this math? The Saturday before the season started, Carlos Hyde became a Texan. And from that moment, he has been invaluable to this offense. Let's get to know El Guapo a little bit better. DP Sidhu had a chance to do a Deep Slant interview with Carlos, and here it is. DP, take it away. Welcome to the Deep Slant, presented by Xfinity. Our guest this week, Carlos Hyde. Welcome, Carlos. Thank you for having me. I've heard your teammates call you Los. You go by El Guapo. You got, like, a lot of different nicknames. <laughs> One more. C-Hyde. My, co- my uh, high school coach called me C-Hyde. C-Hyde. You got this, like, Spanish theme going on with your nicknames. I was looking at some of your Instagram. You Your captions are even in Spanish, too. Some will. Yeah, is that because you're El Guapo, or was that before El Guapo? Uh, kind of both, kind of both. But I know I know a lot of Spanish. You know a little Spanish? Yeah, I learned some words. You did. Yeah. Where did you learn Spanish? Just, uh, <laughs> just like along the way in life. Yeah, yeah, along the way. Yeah. You've told the story about how you uh, came up with the El Guapo nickname. Yeah. So you basically, it was in college, right? You were at Ohio State and you are reading yeah. an article. Yeah. And, okay, so my question is this, because I've not heard you explain this. Why was somebody writing an article about you and calling you handsome? <laughs> it wasn't just, it wasn't just about me, though. It okay. was about, it was about other running backs, too. They was giving running backs nicknames. Okay. And um, my nickname was El Guapo. But I don't think they was calling me El Guapo, like, just saying, like, he's handsome, though. Okay. They was calling me El Guapo from the movie. Like, there's a movie. Oh. And El Guapo is like a villain. So that's what they was calling me I feel me like for. Twitter's going to get really mad at me for not knowing that. So you're, yeah. like, the villain in a movie. All right, yeah. you're also a dad. You had a baby last year, right? Yeah. Is it true that you played 
in a Thursday night game and then went to the hospital and were there for your son being born. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Well, I was actually at the hospital before the game. You were? You know, and I was trying to decide, do I want to stay for the baby or do I go <gasps> play the game? Um, yeah. So you made the decision a- and you went to the game. You had a great game too, right? Yeah. How did you do? Um, I did all right. I yeah. did enough to get us a win. You won. I feel like you scored a couple of touchdowns. Is that I right? I scored. Yeah, I scored. Okay. One of them, one of the touchdowns got called back, but I scored. And then were you throughout the game nervous? Because you can't check your phone or anything. Because you have no, no I idea have what's my, happening, right? I had my phone on the sideline. You were allowed to? Yeah. <laughs> so you I wasn't you were allowed. I just, I, I, I gave my phone to somebody and they told them, to, you know, just, just hold it, you know, just check on my phone and. If something come up, I'm going to leave. You're going to leave. Okay, yeah. so now you've got a son. He's not El Guap- Guapito or anything he like is. that. Is he, is he really? Yeah. Oh, I totally made that up. That's great. What yeah. do you like as a dad? What am I like? Yeah, what do you like? Um, I think I'm a cool dad. He's he's spoiled, though. Is I'm he? Pretty, I give him whatever he wants. <laughs> he's, my, he's my first child, too, though. Of course, though, so. yeah, I understand that. And, um, you know, he's a baby, though, so, you know, I let him get his way right now. But as he get older, though, he starts to realize he got to work for what he wants. Okay. But as a baby, he can have what he wants. Sure. He's, yeah. he's just a baby. Yeah, he doesn't know. All right. The year that you've had has just been crazy. So from week one last year, you've had a baby, uh, to week one of this year, you've been with four different teams, right? Cleveland, Jacksonville, yeah. Kansas City, and then here. Yeah. What's what's that been like for you career-wise? Because you've, you've been through a lot in your six years, but what's this whole last year been like for you? Oh, uh, well, getting traded when I was in Cleveland to Jacksonville, that was unexpected. Um, that happened right before the Texans played <clears throat> Jacksonville, too, I remember. You were not playing in that game because yeah, it sort of I, happened during like, the week, so, right? Yeah, that was the week I got traded. We, they was playing the Texans. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that was – I wasn't I wasn't expecting that, you know. I was preparing for Tampa Bay that week, um, and then I got a phone call, and so I just got traded to Jacksonville. At the time, you know, I was just, I was, I was salty about it. I mean, I was down about it. And then, you know, I was like, I'm going to Florida. So I was kind of happy about that part. Sure. Um, and then I got the Jackson. you went to high school in Florida too, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I got my grandparents. I got my, my uncle. They still live there. So I was excited for that part. But then I got there and I was like. <laughs> it was a lot of running backs in that room, right? Yeah. But it just. I just it was a it was confusion, you know, it just I didn't know my role there. Yeah. It just to me it wasn't a happy place. So, you know, I was counting my days down to get out of there. So, so you did. So you go to Kansas City for like an off season. Yeah, then I go to Kansas City <laughs> and you know, I I'm thankful for my time in Kansas City because yeah. when I was in Kansas City they it it got me back into, you know, like a real grind for football. It made me you know, they 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 got the best out of me there, pretty much. Why you do you know? say that? The way they was working us, you know, the way they worked the running backs there, you know, they 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 be on they be on the running backs, you know, real hard there. You know, it's not you can't just come in there and have a day off. You know, you you gotta be on it. Um, so, you know, that prepared me um, for when I got here. Actually, you know, when I got here, I was. I was ready to go, you know. I was like, when I was in Kansas City, it wasn't like I was just, you know, going through the sure, motion. Sure, I was, you were working. Yeah, I was working. So when I came here, I was like, I'm ready to go, you know. Tell me the plays I need to run, and, you know, I'm going to make them work. So. Yeah, you showed up 
and I was talking to Kenny Stills about this too. You guys showed up right before that week one game, that weekend before, and then you mm-hmm. had really just that week to sort of prepare and get ready. But, you know, you were so productive in that first Monday night game. So yeah. did it feel pretty easy to sort of transition into the offense? What's it like for a running back to get used to a new offense? Well, you know, I've, I've ran, you know, outside zone when we run here. I've, I've ran it before, so I'm familiar with it. And, uh, I mean, pretty much all the plays we run here I've ran before. So it's not like it's anything new to me. Right. Um, only thing that would be new to me is the um, the name, like the play call, like the name of the the name of the play, the protection, something like that would be new. But other than that, you know, everything else is the same. So it's a copycat league, too, though. So it's not like you're going to be like, oh, I've never heard of I've this. I've never done this like, run never, before, right? Yeah. It's the language. Probably, I would imagine, getting just getting around the city, too. You, you move to a new place. you got a new city. you got a new facility. Yeah, I'm still not you got to get to know everybody. I'm still not familiar with the city. You still don't know your way around. It's only been a few weeks, though. Yeah. I know how to get to the facility in my place. And that's about it. That's about it. I know how to get to the Galleria, too. <laughs> that's important. That's yeah. important, getting to the Galleria. I yeah. agree. All right, so uh, you've been a lot of fun to watch. Like, everyone talks about your ability to break tackles and you're just a downhill runner and you sort of run angry. Is there someone that you watched growing up that you emulate your style after? Uh, I was a big Ricky Williams fan growing up. Oh, okay, Ricky Williams. Yeah, you know, back when he was back with the Dolphins doing his thing, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So I used to watch him a lot. I actually wore 34 because of him. You did? Okay. So when I started my Pop Warner football career, you know, I wore 34 all the way up until um, my first year in the league, actually. You said that you do a lot of different things. You run the ball. You want to catch the yeah. catch as well. Do you feel like you were starting to scratch the surface of everything that you can do in this offense? I know that it's still pretty early for you. Yeah, well, last week I got a chance to, you know, catch the ball. Yeah, you and, did. You know, it was like my first time since I've been here that I was, you know, I got to show my hands off a little bit. Um, and I was productive in the passing game. So, you know, I just think, you know, um, each week, though, we get to build. You know, each week they get to find out more what I can do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, each week, you know, Deshaun get more confidence in what I can do. And now, I'm, you know, I'm going to be expecting him, you know, to might check it down to me. Like, now. I'm a receiver, so, too. Don't forget. Don't forget yeah, about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't think he's going to forget about me now, you know, actually, after last week. So, <laughs> now he's like, I got more than just, you know, the re- receivers I can throw it to. I can throw it to the running backs now. So What's it been like getting to know Deshaun? Because you, you probably saw him from afar, right? I would imagine yeah. you've, you've seen what he can do. But what's he like when you actually get to work with him up close? You're in the huddle with him. Yeah, it's been it's been great working with Deshaun though. You know, I've I've enjoyed it. You know, he helps me out too in the run game because he's a threat to run the ball mm-hmm. also. So teams can't really just key in on me though. So it's helpful. You know, we work together and um he's a hell of a player too though. You know, he's he's an exciting guy to watch. Um he's a leader, you know, he's he's been doing a good job, you know. Right now we just we just need a click. You know, the passing game and running game. and yeah. Get it all going. There, there's not many players in the league that can say they played for both Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Right. So uh, how, how do those t- – I mean, they were so highly sought after in that draft class. I mean, obviously Patrick Mahomes gets drafted one spot before Deshaun, and they, yeah. they're friends, they follow each other. But how, does, how do they compare when you see them? Obviously they're, they're different in their own way, but in a lot of ways they're pretty similar too, aren't they? Yeah, I mean they two young, exciting quarterbacks. You know, they they the 
the next the next big thing to uh, you know take over this this league you know you know Tom Brady the next like, generation of quarterbacks right yeah so but yeah they two exciting guys you know to play and watch to play with and watch like you said I got to play with both of them it was exciting though you come here and Duke Johnson's here he showed up maybe a few weeks before you you played with him in Cleveland as well you guys have that relationship how yeah. nice has that been that you have someone in the running backs room. That you've already had a relationship with before you got here. Yeah, that was cool uh, to come here and um, you know already have a relationship, with, you know, with a fellow running back, uh, Duke. Duke's been helpful too, though. You know, he's he's uh, helped me, you know, learn the offense also. Even though it was new to him too, though, but he kind of knew a He'd little more. He had a more. few more weeks on yeah, you. Yeah, about, about to say it, he, right? knew a little, he knew a little more than <laughs> yeah. than what I've known. But he's he's definitely been helpful. He's another guy, though. You know, he run downhill, too, though. You know, he get his pass down. He run he run over somebody, too, though. You lobby for more catches. Does he lobby for more runs? Do you guys kind of go back? Because you guys are both you. I mean, you guys are a great one-two punch, so. I just, I just, I just, I don't, I don't really care. You know, I just want to win. You know, just somehow, some way, just get the ball to whoever you need to get the ball to so we can win. You know, that's all I really care about. I don't really be lobbying for more runs or anything, more catches or nothing. I just, let's win. Your first game as a rookie in San Francisco, you won. It was Monday Night Football. You had a spin move for a touchdown. Yeah. Is it true? Yeah. Is it true that uh, you got a call from LeBron James after the game? Yeah. My trainer, my trainer, David Alexander, um, him and LeBron, they're like best friends. And um, he called me. He was with LeBron at the time. So, yeah, I talked to LeBron after the game. But I knew LeBron from college, though. You know, because when you guys I was had back, that Ohio, the yeah, Ohio when connection. I was back at Ohio State, he used to come. You he know, knew you from Ohio State? Yeah, he used to come and uh, talk to us. So, you know, I was already familiar with LeBron. So, you weren't, like, starstruck or anything nah, when he called you? You weren't? Nah, what nah. did he say to you? He was saying, good game. Just a good game? Yeah, good game. <laughs> Just like any other fellow athlete would tell you, good game. You know, I thought, going. like, as a rookie, that's a big deal. You get the you get a touchdown on my name from a LeBron James. But if, like, I was, yeah, if I never met LeBron, then I probably would have be been like, oh, There's probably man, some veterans LeBron. in the locker room that it would be a big deal now that yeah. he called them, and you're a rookie. Who, okay, if you score, like, a winning touchdown, you have a big game now with the Texans, who's a celebrity that you would be starstruck if they called you? Nah, I don't know. Cause I'll just be like, I don't, I don't. I mean, I'm not I like a super. I'm not like a like, like you know, how some people are like a diehard fan when they see like certain people. Like, yeah, that's not you. No, I'm just more cool about it. You know, I'm just like, I, I guess so. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, <laughs> if LeBron calls you as a rookie and you don't get starstruck, I guess I guess no one's gonna make you starstruck. Well, hopefully somebody does call you and you have a lot of great games here in the future, Carlos. I'm okay with my mom just calling me. Is telling your mom? Me good game. <laughs> the perfect answer yeah. he wants his mom to call him all right carlos thank you so much hopefully your mom calls you a lot this season after some big wins. thanks carlos <laughs> yeah no problem great interview there with carlos hyde courtesy of the deep plant interview of the week brought to you by xfinity we get back carlos hyde's name you might hear in our keys to the game i'll have those for you next right here on texans all access it's time to really dive into this matchup with the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. So it's time for our first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game, FCCU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. Welcome back to Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst and solid reporter, and this is my favorite segment of the entire week. Why? Because it's football. It's football. It is X's and O's. It's football strategy. 
I love it. I've done this for a long time. Keys to the game. It was one of the first things I ever wrote for for my website. It was one of the first things that I ever wrote for College Football News. It became kind of a staple for College Football News to a point where when I was doing it the first couple of years, I would do it, but I had a full-time job, so sometimes I didn't get to it till later in the week. And my boss was like, look, you need to get those into me. I was like, I, I, dude, I'm coming. He goes, it's not me that's asking him. It's like Fox because Fox Sports was putting it on their front page because we College Football News was tied into Fox Sports, so they really liked it. So hopefully you like it. If not, well, I'm going to continue to do it because you got to know about what's happening on Sunday with the Falcons coming into town, right? So here are your keys to the game. Let's start with the Texans' defense. The Falcons have been turning the ball over, on average, twice a game. They had a couple of moments. Now, turnovers, obviously, we know about fumbles and interceptions, but the Falcons also turned it over on downs a couple of times. Those are considered turnovers, not in the stat sheet, but those are considered turnovers as well. They did not execute on fourth down. But really, it's the it's the fumbles, it's the interceptions that are the ones I'm talking about. They've got six interceptions through four games. This is Matt Ryan. He's got six interceptions through four games. Two fumbles, that makes eight. That's two per game. I'm asking the Texans to just get one turnover. Because when you're turning the ball over as much as you are, and then you do it again, even if it's just once, it can end up being a mind game for you a little bit. Like, oh, we keep turning the ball over. And then all of a sudden, everybody gets a little bit, um, they step back from things a little bit. They get a little bit safe. They don't kind of push the boundaries a little bit because you haven't turned the ball over. And now you don't. You definitely don't want to do it again. So I think that's one thing that can take away a little bit of the explosiveness of this Atlanta Falcons offense. Turn it over early. Get them to turn it over early. Get on it. Strip sack interception. I don't care. Make it happen early because you want to get in their heads a little bit have them turn the ball over early. If they have a ton of success early on, or maybe not even a bunch of success, but they're just not turning the ball over, they may grow confidence from that as the game wears on. I'd rather hit them in the mouth early, get an interception, get a fumble recovery, and then have them over the sidelines going, oh man, we can't keep turning the ball over. I guarantee you it will reduce the explosiveness of that offense just enough. Just enough. So get one turnover and hopefully... Do it right away. Number two. Now, this one, I'm going to say this because I know it's a lot harder to do than it is to say, but do not let Julio Jones ever go one-on-one. And there will be times where you look out there and you're like, well, there's Julio one-on-one. There's Lonnie Johnson or Bradley Roby or Jonathan Joseph up there to press Julio Jones, press him one-on-one. I guarantee if that's going to happen, there's going to be help over the top. There should be two guys devoted to Julio Jones. And I give you the New England Patriots. Now, the New England Patriots did a lot of doubling of Julio Jones, but that's not really kind of my point here. I'm talking about what the New England Patriots did to DeAndre Hopkins. For years against Hopkins, what the Patriots would do would be to take the second corner. They'd have two, you know, two good corners, but they'd take their, their second corner and he would be on Hopkins. But they would always have a safety there to help wherever DeAndre went. So it was always in Patriots parlance, double 10. You're going to double 10 wherever he goes. And when you saw Belichick mic'd up on a Thursday night game in 2016, you could see him double 10, double 10. They were doubling DeAndre Hopkins wherever he went. So they would take Logan Ryan and put him on DeAndre Hopkins and then give help from Devin McCourty or Patrick Turner or whomever to double on Hopkins everywhere he went. 
And then they would single cover whoever the other receiver was in 2015, 2016, you know. Um, that's that's how they would handle it. And then they would do that in 2017 as well because Will Fuller was hurt in that game. So what I I look at in this one is take that same philosophy, double 11, Julio Jones' number, double him all game long, and take your chances going man-to-man on the other guys. And I'm not – take educated risks. And I'm not saying you play man-to-man the whole game. But that was sort of the philosophy for the Patriots was to take the best corner and put him on our number two receiver and just lock them up. Like, that guy's going to get nothing. But he's also going to get no help. The help is going to come from the other side against DeAndre Hopkins. Same thing here. Give the help to whoever's covering Julio Jones and then hope that whatever guy, other guys you have to cover, Mohamed Sanu, Calvin Ridley, hopefully those guys get taken care of with what they're doing man-to-man. So maybe that's Bradley Roby and J. Joe man-to-man and Lonnie Johnson's covering Julio Jones because he's a bigger guy, he can handle the physicality, and then you give safety help to Lonnie the whole game. The Titans tried some of that. I don't know how successful they were, but they did hold Julio Jones to four catches. So that's got to be a philosophy there because I think when you hold Julio in check, you end up slowing this offense down, not exponentially, but significantly. Number three, I can't emphasize this word enough, tackle. Not offensive tackle, not defensive tackle, tackle, as in the act of, the verb tackle. The tackling has got to be on point. It's been pretty good. I will admit, I think the tackling has been pretty good. I don't think there have been stages where I've watched this team and go, oh, man, the tackling is just so bad. There are NFL teams that you watch and you go, boy, the tackling is really atrocious for that team. This team, it's not really been the case. Not at all, really. The tackling has been really good. But I'm emphasizing it because of Devontae Freeman, the running back. He's not the tallest guy, but he is powerful. He's 5'9", 210, and just packed with power. And he likes to unleash that power on defenders that tackle him one-on-one. So you've got to tackle. And it can't be a solo tackle every single time. There are going to be times when it has to be. But there are going to be times when you need to get everybody to the football. Do not give him a seam. Do not get out of your gaps. The Titans at times would get out of their gaps. The Colts, actually Titans were better about it. The Colts, they would penetrate and get upfield, and he would would slice through. And back in 2015, we got out of our gaps a bunch, and he exploited it. So be gap disciplined, but mainly tackle. Tackle Devontae Freeman with everything you got. Tight end Austin Hooper is a major problem. This is one of those games. Deshaun Gibson, I thought, was very, very good when he was asked to cover Greg Olson in the passing game last week. This week gets Austin Hooper. You may not know Austin Hooper. He's not maybe as well known as Greg Olson. But Austin Hooper has been crushing it lately. He has been, if not the number one receiver, because that's Julio Jones, he probably has been the number two receiver, pushing Mohamed Sanu and Calvin Ridley to the, to the background a little bit more. Austin Hooper has been outstanding. Really, really good. This is a game in which the safeties and linebackers have got to take away Austin Hooper. I mean, it's a lot to consider. That's the whole thing about the Falcons. It's a lot to consider. But Austin Hooper has been a dude lately, and we've got to slow him down. And last and certainly not least, the offensive line. Now, when the season started, the Falcons were going to start Jake Matthews' left tackle, Chris Lindstrom, I'm sorry, James Carpenter at left guard, Alex Mack at center, Chris Lindstrom at right tackle or right guard, and then Caleb McGarry at right tackle. Now, they might have moved Lindstrom over to the left side and put Jamal Brown at right guard. 
they will not have Lindstrom. They may not have Alex Mack. They may not have uh, Jamal Brown. Injuries affecting all of them. So their offensive line may be shaken up a little bit. The only thing that's going to be consistent are the two tackles. Jake Matthews, who J.J. Watt has seen before, all the way back to Hard Knocks in 2014. And he also saw him in 2015 in that game in Atlanta, which didn't go well. And then you got Caleb McGarry on the right side, who's a rookie. And Caleb McGarry is going to be a very good player. In fact, I was, that was one of the players I wanted the Texans to take a look at. I loved everything about him, his demeanor, his athleticism, everything. But he's a rookie. And he missed about three weeks of training camp dealing with a heart condition. So it's not as if he's completely up to speed. Now he's working through his issues, and he is, he's probably better than what the, guy, what the Falcons have on the inside. But James Carpenter at guard was the guy that Texas saw for a little bit last year with the Jets. They've had success against him. Alex Mack is dealing with an elbow issue. If he's dealing with an elbow and he's trying to block some of the guys the Texans have, that could be trouble. Then you've got Jamal Brown, who was banged up last week. They went to Wes Schweitzer, a backup guard. And then they got McGarry, a rookie. This is an opportunity for the defensive line to find the weak spot up front and then exploit it. Find that weak spot and exploit it. Now, it might be multiple spots, given the issues that the Falcons have had from an injury standpoint and just the personnel they have up there. But this is an opportunity for this defense up front to take over the football game and make life miserable on Matt Ryan. All right, let's flip it over to the offensive side. Offense, I know a lot of people want to talk about the offense. I think this one, not not easy, but I think it's more straightforward. Number one, to run the ball against the Falcons, you've got to eliminate the penetration. Number 97 in particular, Grady Jarrett, is one of the better interior players in the league. He can be a force. The last time he played at Energy Stadium, he had three sacks. When was that? That was the Super Bowl. He had three sacks of Tom Brady. He was an absolute dude. And he's gotten even better since 2016. But he wants to run into the backfield and penetrate all day. That leaves seams in the run game. Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson must exploit that. Number two, if you run it well, and really, you don't have to run it well, but if you do, I think it sells the play action that much more. Sell, 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 throw the play action. Good run fakes on play action. The Titans went to this first drive of the first half, First drive of the second half, and both times they hit big plays. Both times. In fact, the one in the first half went for a 55-yard touchdown. All right, key number three, the interior receiving game. Tight ends and Kiki QT, they've got to step up. Now, I don't think you can put everything on them last week, obviously. It's not always about them, but they've got to get open. They've got to show their numbers. They've got to catch the football. They've got to get upfield. This interior passing game has got to go to a different level. Against the Chargers, I felt like we were on a verge. Like against the Chargers, you could see it like, okay, man, this is week in, week out. This is going to be tough. And then last week, we didn't really see that. Now, the Panthers were doing a really good job of taking some things away, and that, that was one of the things they wanted to take away, especially with Shaq Thompson and Keekley playing underneath on some things. The safety's driving on some of those shorter routes with the, the slot receivers and the tight ends. But this is a week where maybe the Falcons are a little more deep conscious. Maybe they want to take away those deep shots, and maybe they'll give more things to the tight ends and to the wide receivers on the inside. Texans have to exploit that. They have to, have to, have to be able to find those routes and those things inside. Those 10 to 15-yard routes are invaluable. Moving the sticks, that's one of the ways you can do it, getting those guys involved. Number four, this is simple, real simple. Keep attacking down the field, deep down the field. It will happen. And I stress the word will. Will Fuller will make a play down the field. Will Fuller will be a big part of of the offense. He will make the big play. Deshaun hits him. It's going to send this place into hysterics because that's what this offense has been looking for, that big play. They've been wanting it. They've been sitting on it. 
They've been sitting on it, and it's been there. They just haven't hit on it. It will happen. Keep attacking it downfield. Not to a point where you force it and make bad decisions throwing the ball down the field, but there will be opportunities. Every team thus far has given the Texans opportunities to throw the ball down the field. Jacksonville, we couldn't hang on to it. Against Carolina, we just missed it with the throw. It's bound to hit. But in games against the Saints, hit a big one down the field to Will Fuller. Against the Chargers, hit all kinds of big ones down the field. Protect it. Get downfield. Nobody can run with Will Fuller. You just got to protect it and give him just a step of space. And Deshaun, you put it on him. Deshaun puts it on him. Will's getting open. They're going to hit the big play. And maybe it's not Will. Maybe it ends up being Kiki this week. Maybe it ends up being DeAndre Hopkins. But to me, Will is the one that could really kind of pop the top off of things because he is so explosively fast. But that's got to hit. Keep attacking down the field. And once you hit those shots down the field, then that's where those intermediate ones come in with the interior passing game. And last and certainly not least, get in the left lane. Let's go 100 miles an hour early and never stop. I don't mind taking this thing to Mach 5 and going the whole way like that. Pulling off only in the fourth quarter when you're up 38-10, to 10, which would be kind of nice. This offense can score. It can put the ball in the end zone. It just hasn't at home for whatever reason. Missing some deep shots last week, holding on to it a little bit too long, receivers not getting quite open, protection not being pristine, all those things working together, not running it as well as you really could or want to. Let's put all those pieces together. But let's amp up the rhythm a little bit. Let's take it up a notch. Let's play fast, let's do things quickly, and let's go. I just think this group, and I've said this a few times, is just better served moving at a faster pace. But when they get in rhythm, when they get the fifth gear, and it's, it, boy, and there's an open left lane, they can go. Now let's do it. Now, the other side can too. The Falcons can do it too. So hopefully your defense is on point to be able to slow that down. But offensively, let's open a can of whoop-ass this week. Let's put it on them. Run game, short to mini intermediate passing game, deep shots, up tempo, everything. Let's put it on these guys offensively this week. This is a time to really unleash so the fans at home get a chance to see what this offense can really, truly do. All right, those are your first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game. FCCU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. Let's bring our voice to the Texans in next. Mark Vandermeer is going to join me to talk about this one and a little bit of college football as well. Next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access, our second hour of the show. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter for your Houston Texans. Joined now by the voice of the Texans, it's our weekly get-together. We don't do this throughout the week except this one time, so you got to wait till Friday for the greatness of Mark Vandermeer and John Harris. I have a programming note for you. You do. On Monday morning, from eight, we're always on 8 to 10, yeah, Monday Texas morning on Monday, Sports yeah. Radio 610, of course, Texas yes. Monday. We're going to be commercial-free from 8 to 8.30. We're going to go sweep the half hour, sweep the Hold leg, up. sweep the leg out of the commercial break. So what you're saying is yeah. that you and I mm-hmm. are going to have to carry 30 whole minutes. Yeah, I don't know how we'll do it. The day after a game. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to do this. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to happen. What are we going to talk about? What, what are we going to do? So any new Netflix shows over you know, the weekend? Uh, Mark, we haven't talked too much about this one, but it sort of kind of hit me right in the face today and it even really wasn't paying attention. We had a battle at Piney Woods Coaches Luncheon today. Yeah. And had both coaches, Kobe Carthel from uh, Stephen F. Austin and Casey Keeler. And I've got to know them a little bit. 
when they came down to the field for a preseason game. But I've got to know Casey over the last few years because I've called games at right. at Sam Houston State, and so production meetings and see him on the field and stuff. And he had been the coach at Delaware for a long time. They yes. won a championship in 2003. Mm-hmm. And so today I was doing a Q&A with both the coaches, and I mentioned being in an NFL environment. And Casey says, yeah, I got to see one of my former players. You tech, The Texans just signed one of my former players. And I'm like, who did we sign from Sam Houston State? Then he goes, Mike Adams. Oh. Who played for him at Delaware. Mike Adams was a blue hen. He was. He was a blue hen. And I yes. think he played. I was trying to do the math. I was like, did he play on that championship team? He might have. He might have played on the 2003 championship team. That's the one championship that Casey has um, when he was at Delaware. He also coached Joe Flacco. Then he ended up going to San Jose State in 2014. But Mike Adams has been around so long that it dates all the way back to the beginning of Casey Keeler's Delaware tenure. That is amazing. To and, be there that long. And Casey Keeler, to coach for two powerhouses yeah. in 1AA or FCS, yeah. that's pretty impressive stuff. It still blows my mind that, Johnny, you see some of these guys getting hired in college football, and you're wondering, why doesn't Casey Keeler have one of these jobs? Right. You know? Why doesn't somebody just take a shot at Casey Keeler? I know. You know, why not? Yeah. I mean, the guy's won, and it can't be that different. And if he puts together a good staff, right. I mean, he's got to be able to do something productive considering all the guys who flame out at the FBS level. Yeah, I'm, I've been surprised. I thought University of Houston might take a look at him after Major Applewhite was let go. But obviously, Tillman. Well, Dana's a good hire. Tillman and the school Should've. had their eye on Dana, so yeah. Yeah, there's no question. Yeah. But he is a really good coach. He has done a heck of a job with that San Houston State program. And, look, we got to give credit. Willie Fritz, who went from San Houston State to Georgia Southern, from Georgia Southern over at Tulane, they've done – he's done a heck of a job over at Tulane, got the win over at University of Houston. And, and Willie they play kinda, Drew Doherty's SMU Mustangs this weekend. That's a huge game. That How is. How about this? SMU ranked for the first time since – no. Yes. It is since before the death penalty? Since, since the death penalty, 1986. Oh, gosh. How about that? Since post-Ron Meyer, the yeah, late Ron Meyer. That is, I saw that, and I, I knew SMU would be ranked because they had a couple of big wins. I knew they would be ranked, and, and of course, Drew and, and Omar have been talking about it. But they are. They're ranked number 24. It's the first time since prior to the death penalty that they've been ranked. That's incredible. It's, re- it's really amazing. It really is. It, it, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, one of the things that I, I talked about while I was up there, Mark, was you know we have the Battle of the Pine Woods has been going on for ninety four years. Mm-hmm. It's been in this building for ten years, and it's really found a nice home here at Energy Stadium. But that game never comes to Energy Stadium if the Texans don't exist. Yeah, if this building doesn't exist, which all leads back to Bob McNair. And I talked to them about Bob McNair and the impact that he had in because he brought the Texans here. That had ramifications on college football because then we could bring these college football rivalries here, including Battle of the Piney Woods, the Texas Bowl, uh, the Avocare Texas kickoff. Yeah. You know, all those games we can now have in this building, in large part because of what Bob did. And so I thought it was really cool that this weekend where we do celebrate Founders Day, we also have Battle of the Piney Woods yep. to be able to celebrate college football and pro football on a weekend where we're celebrating Bob McNair. Well, as part of the mission of doing great things for Houston yep. and, and bringing these other kinds of events, not just Houston Texans football. Right. And, you know, the building itself obviously has the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, and, and they do a great job doing great things for Houston themselves. But, you know, the Texans do their thing and have so many other events that they can 
bring in soccer too, by the way. But the Piney Woods, I love it. I love the tradition. I love the Southland Conference. You know yeah, that. I great. did a championship game for the basketball, uh, men's basketball league every year at the Merrill Center in Katy, and, and I love doing that. I'd love to do this game too, and I've been offered to do it, but you know how I feel about uh, working Saturdays yeah. when that's all I got with my boys. No, you know that's what I mean? Right. The Vander Boys have to have some time on yep. Saturday. we got to do our thing. Uh, but uh, I will check this one out for sure. Because I know that Stephen F. Austin's not having the great greatest year. They're coming off a win, though. Right. Coming and they're in a rebuilding great. process. Uh, but I, I love the whole thing. I love the league because, you know what? It's education for all, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> it, really, it really is. Not everybody's going to go to UT and A&M, right. and nor, they, nor should they. You know, these schools are great schools. And, hey, Sam Houston State is a great communication school mm-hmm. with all the local media guys who have yes. been there, like Randy McElvoy and Craig Ackerman and people like that. And then you go back to Dan Rather and the kind of program they have and the hands-on experience. And my buddy uh, Bill Schoening from the San Antonio Spurs, formerly yeah, yeah. the voice of the Texas Longhorns. So, oh, back to your point also, how many times have the Longhorns and Aggies played in this building? Not against each other because that would be too awesome oh, for man. words. And oh. they wouldn't do it probably because – don't get me started on why they don't play. Yeah. But that's so cool that they've played here a lot, those two schools at Rice and U of H. Yeah, absolutely. And you said doing great things for Houston, doing great things for not just Houston, but the greater Houston community, the state, the state of Texas. Yep. I know that meant a lot to Bob. Uh, but let's get to this one against Atlanta. Texans are favored by five. Uh, and I, It's a Vegas thing. I, always, I, I do my predictions. I'll do them in the next yeah. segment. But I always tell people I never pick heart, head. I never go against. So I never pick that game. But when I saw that, I was like, I don't, I don't know. And not, not that the Atlanta Falcons are looking at the spread going, oh, my gosh, that's bolted board material. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to do that. But I, I worry about this Falcons team because it feels kind of like us offensively in that, and maybe even more so because Matt Ryan's been playing for so long, that they can flip a switch and be as good as it wants to be at any point. How about this? They had the ball 11 to- wait, eleven possessions last week. Seven of the possessions, they were in plus territory. Yes. But they only scored 10 points. Yep. Why? Penalties, false starts, yep. turnovers. Didn't convert on fourth down the, a couple of times. The red zone to the Falcons is the Bermuda Triangle right now. <laughs> they, they, the ball gets lost in there, yeah. and they, they just can't find it again. So – they can get going at any time, just like the Texans can get mm-hmm. going at any time, and it's a matter of which team is going to get going. Right. Maybe they both get going, and it's 41-38. to 38. <laughs> I don't know. And look, if uh. the Texans come out on top, I'll take it. I might need therapy after the game, but I'll take it for sure. I'll take any kind of win this Sunday. Uh, it's both teams in desperate need of getting well. It's really weird when you have two teams that have this kind of offensive talent held to 10 points in their own building, and then they meet the very next week. It's weird stuff, and this game's scary, Johnny, because I think anybody who plays the Falcons this year should be scared because of all the firepower they do have, yep. even though it's kind of dormant, for lack of a better word, as far as finding the end zone. But right. they are moving the ball. They threw for nearly 400 yards last week. Yeah, they threw, in particular, the second half. I mean, they they found a lot of what they were looking for. Now, I've said all along how I feel about the Titans, but the Titans, to me, the big surprise in that game mm-hmm. was the Titans putting up 24 in the first half. Yeah. 24. Now, they didn't score in the second half. Right. But they scored 24. But then when you look at the numbers of the Falcons on defense, I'm like, wait a second. Hold up. Hold up. This team is 1-3? I mean, offensively, they're third in the league in passing. We would expect that. They're not running the ball at all. So right. there's that. But defensively, they're tied for seventh in the league 
giving up the least yards through the air, 215 yards. They're only giving up 325 per game total, right. which is eighth in the league. So they're seventh in the league against the pass, eighth in the league total. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the disconnect? It's I mean, possessions. It's, it's ending possessions with turnovers. Right. Because Ryan's been picked off six times. He's turned it over another time. Mm-hmm. He's tied for third in the league in turning the ball over. Yes, yeah, six right, interceptions I think he has this yeah, year. Right. right, so seven total turnovers for Ryan. So there's that. That ends possessions and creates extra for the opponent. Yep. You know, so sometimes the stats don't tell the whole story. Right. Four games is a nice little clip. It's a nice little statistical significant sample, if you will. Right. But it still doesn't tell the whole story. They're, they're sort of an aberration, if you will. Uh, and I think that they feel like they can get it going at any time, yeah, especially they, in that division. And the Texans feel like they can get it going at any time. So here we go. I, I'm enamored with this question I got from – uh, I was on uh, 92.9, the fan in Atlanta, and they asked me this question. And I knew – I, I kind of had a feeling it was coming. And you sort of mentioned it. Is this a must win for each team? No, but you know what it is? It's uh, – it, it, if you don't win this one, especially for them, although for the Texans it's not too pretty when you go to Kansas City sub-500, right? In Indianapolis. You, you go to right Kansas City and Indy, you go you're two and three. If you happen – I mean – no, Ugh. it's not a good situation for either team. It's not a must win because I always think must wins are, are ones that really eliminate or virtually eliminate right, right. you from any possibility yeah, the of true advancement of the postseason. Nature of must win. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, we've seen it too many times. That fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to spin that, but the Texans have been in trouble every year under Bill O'Brien. Every year mm-hmm. they've been in trouble. Last year, zero and three, trouble. The year before, obviously, was trouble all right. the way throughout. Two thousand sixteen, they're six and three. But then they lose three in a row, six right. and six. They're in trouble. They dig themselves out. They've dug themselves out of trouble every year under O'Brien. Yeah. The first, second, third, you know, the fourth was what it was last year. Every year other than 2017, they've dug themselves out of a either three-game losing streak or in 2015, which is actually the biggest hole they had, which was two and five, mm-hmm. they dug themselves out of that one. Yeah. So they're really good at digging themselves out of adverse situations. So I can Ugh. never write off the Texans, even if they would lose this one and next week. But let's be honest. This is tough. It's a tough schedule. And people say, oh, in the second half, it gets a lot easier. What is easy after you see Carolina with a backup quarterback? Now, I find it interesting because I have the NFL Network out in my office. And on the on the crawl, I get a Gardner Minshew stat, which is he's, what, 7-1 TDs to picks. Yeah. You know, and he's doing well. They're 2-2. Two and two, And, look, they – They've got something going on here. Yeah. Tied for first. And then I see a stat for Kyle Allen, 3-0 as a starter in relief of Cam Newton. So I'm thinking, interesting, you know, mm-hmm. that these two quarterbacks who have given you a little bit of trouble at home uh, are doing well right. against other teams It wasn't as just well. you. It, it wasn't was an aberration. You. And they have good defenses. Right. You know, so, look, that's no excuse. Texans have to do better on offense at home. Uh, but it's not like Carolina is a layup team. Right. And, and we talked about it last week. However, when you look at the rest of the schedule, that was one you really had to get, you right. feel. So you got to make up for it later. But don't worry about that right now. All you can do is worry about Sunday. That's yep. what they've got their focus on, and let's hope they get it done. I mean, the Panthers lost a close game to the Rams at home. Mm-hmm. Then, with Cam, probably about 50 or 60%, they lose close to the Buccaneers. So they're 0-2 to start. But then, you know, they pop back and win that third game. It's at Arizona. They put up 38 points in the process. And you're like, okay, well, which team are they? The team that... And then when I stopped, when I thought about that, I was like, you know what? It's the same team. They really didn't do anything different with 
with uh, Kyle Allen than they did in the first two games. They just executed a little bit better, and their defense played lights out against us, and we obviously didn't play very well last week. But this week, this is the time this offense has got to get cranked up. And I go back to what Drew Doherty said and has said. Deshaun Watson very rarely has has bad games or games you would consider bad. Subpar. Very, subpar. Very rarely does he follow up what you would consider a subpar game with another one. Oh, I, I think he's, <laughs> he's going to be full force. Yeah. This is going to be something. Now, you hope he doesn't force it. Right. But I, I just have a feeling he's going to make some hay this week. Now, is that enough to get the job done? Because you mentioned, all right, not only uh, – we talked a lot about their offense. Let's go back to their defense for a minute because you talked about them earlier in this segment. Johnny, I was reading about how they get pressure, and we brought it up yeah. with Bill O'Brien. They do get pressure, oh, yeah. but they don't get set. They don't get home. Right. They don't force turnovers. But the football nerds will tell you they do get into the backfield and they make noise. It's just not the right kind of noise to help them win. Tack McKinley, Vic Beasley, those guys can get to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So if you hold it too long, you're going to end up having to deal with those guys. Yeah, and that's and definitely not what you want to do. He's got to find a way to get rid of that football. And look, you think this is what they do. I know everybody's been talking about it all week You know, in, in the world of, mm-hmm. of what we do. But this is what they do. The Texans, Deshaun Watson, the offense, they've been meeting, talking about this stuff all week. Let's hope they've solved some of these issues and they're ready to erupt on Sunday. No doubt. Mark, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Johnny. When we get back, let's go around the NFL doing it my way. That means making predictions on every game straight up and against the spread right here on Texans All Access. This Sunday is going to be a great day at NRG Stadium. October 6, 2019 is 20 years to the day that we found out the Houston Texans were coming to life. Now, we didn't know they were going to be called the Texans, but we didn't know that Bob McNair had done an unbelievable job in doing the work to essentially bump L.A. out of the way and jump in there and become the 32nd franchise for the NFL. The NFL wanted a franchise in L.A. badly for whatever reason. I don't know why, but they wanted a franchise in L.A. And Bob McNair said, look, in the city of Houston, we need football back. And Bob McNair was instrumental in getting it back. So 20 years to the day, on Sunday, October 6th, 2019, we will celebrate the man who helped bring football back to the city, who brought football back to the city. I know he had a lot of help. He would tell you, if he were still with us, that he had a lot of help in doing it. But the name Bob McNair should resonate for all of you football fans in the city of Houston. Think about it this way. Think about what you do on a bye week. What do you do on a bye week? Maybe you mow the yard. Maybe you watch the NFL Red Zone. I know. I I feel weird. Andre, Mark, and I, every single year, get on a group text like, this is weird. We should be playing today. It's just weird. Well, what if you had a fall full of bi-week Sundays? Because that's what we had for about three years. Then October 6, 1999, Bob McNair walked, to that, walked out of that room in Atlanta with a Houston franchise. It was such a great day. Now, that gives us here in the city of Houston a lot to talk about as it pertains to the NFL. And so I use this segment to go around the NFL, but do it my way. And that is to make some predictions straight up and against the spread. You know how I do this, and I love to do it. So let's dive into the games that we've got. Now, we've got some teams on bye weeks. We've got some teams going over to London to play games. We're kind of at that point in the schedule where we got things like that happening. So not as many games. Got games over on uh, foreign soil which I'm looking forward to ours in a few weeks, but, man, that thing's coming up a lot faster than I assumed. But plenty of games to talk about, plenty of point spreads to look at, some of them that kind of give that little dog head turn, like, whoa, really? Huh, interesting. We'll talk about that right about now. But I need my music. Before I say now, I need my music. Ah, there it is. All right, let's go. 
prediction time. Here we go. The first game of the day might, <laughs> oh boy, it might be the worst game of the day. I would tell you that somebody's going to get a win in this one. When the Arizona Cardinals go to the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, I would tell you that. I'm not sure I'm convinced of it, especially considering the Cardinals have a tie already this year. The Cardinals 0-3-1, the Bengals 0-4. And I don't know that either team, I mean, the Bengals were really close in week one. They went out to Seattle, lost by one. You saw what Seattle did to the L.A. Rams. Uh, Last night, boy, what a game that was. Holy smokes, what a fun football game to watch. The Bengals played close with Seattle, had a one-point game. Have not played it close since. Got thumped last week in Buffalo. Yeah, it's just or two weeks ago in Buffalo, and haven't been able to get off the schneid. But the Bengals are favored by three. I think that's Vegas's way of saying we don't know. We have no idea, none whatsoever. But I'm gonna ride with Vegas on this one. I think Vegas is probably about right. I think Cincinnati's gonna win this one, and I think they're gonna win it by about three. But since I'm forced to pick, let's pick the Bengals to win and to cover at home against the Arizona Cardinals. The Bills go to the Titans. Well, this will be a noon game that we'll have our eyes on, obviously, while ours is going on against the Atlanta Falcons. But the Bills lost last week to New England. Got down inside the five-yard line. Could not score to take a 17-16 lead. Got stopped at the one-yard line. Turned it over. A little while later, got back down inside there. The Patriots came up with another stand. The Bills were close to being 4-0. But they're three and one, and they go to Tennessee now. Josh Allen's status is going to be up in the air for this one, but the Titans are coming off a huge win against the Atlanta Falcons after two division losses to the Colts and the Jags. The Titans got it together on the road, lit up the Falcons for 24 points in the first half. Now, it did score in the second half, but won that game 24 to 10. The Titans are at home a three-point favorite. I like the Titans in this one as much as it pains me to say. I would love to see the Titans lose. Would love for Buffalo to get a win and go to four and one, but. I think both teams are going to be 3-2 and two after this is all said and done. I think Tennessee gets a touchdown win. I don't think it's much more than that, but seven's more than three, so we're going with the Tennessee Titans to win at home over the Buffalo Bills. Our first game in London includes the Chicago Bears and the Oakland Raiders. Now, the Bears are coming off a sound defeat of the Minnesota Vikings. Just punished them physically, caused all kinds of problems, if you will, with the Vikings after the game. The Bears were physically dominant. The Raiders went into Indianapolis, and I was I mean, if I could have bet that 99 times out of 100, I would have vote, I would have, I would have picked the Colts, and I did last week, but the Raiders came through with a 7-point victory, helped us out a little bit. Raiders are 2-2, two and two, playing better football. The Bears a different story. Now, Chase Daniel, it does look like he is going to start at quarterback for the Chicago Bears, and the Bears are favored by 5. I actually don't know if I love that five-point spread. I do like the Bears, and I like this to be low-scoring. So take the under, whatever the under is, go under, and let's go with the Bears to win, but the Raiders to cover. The Raiders get inside that five. I feel like this is a three, three or four-point win for the Bears. I don't think it's much more than that. I don't think it's more than that. I think that's about where it is. So let's go with the Bears to win, Raiders to get inside that five-point cover. The Bucks and the Saints, two big wins for these NFC South teams. The Bucks went out to L.A., Put 55 on the Rams. Now, it was not all the offense. Dom Kinsu had a fumble return. Shaq Barrett was incredible rushing off the edge against the Rams. But the Bucks beat the Rams out in L.A. after losing to the Giants. Now they go into New Orleans, where New Orleans got a big Sunday night win against the Cowboys. Didn't score a lot of points, but the defense was top-notch. This is a great battle. I think the Saints 
only favored by three. I think that's probably the Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater factor. Let's go with the Saints to win and to cover. I don't know if the Bucs can replicate that against a really good defense like the Saints have. So I think the Saints will do enough to put the ball in the end zone. The Bucs have proven that they've got some defensive pieces, but they haven't proven that they can play great defense at all times. They gave up 32 to the Giants. They gave up 40 to the Rams. The Saints are going to put up in the 20. I think the, the Bucks will be held under that. So let's go with the Saints to win and to cover that three-point spread. The Vikings and Giants. The Giants are coming off two wins in a row. Giants beat the Bucks. Giants beat the Redskins. Vikings up and down. Lost to the Falcons. Sorry, beat the Falcons. Lost to the Packers. Won the next game, which is the Raiders. Lost to the Bears. So, if we're following that, the Vikings should win. But this one's in the Meadowlands at MetLife Stadium. But no Saquon Barkley. He's been out for a couple weeks now. I think that could end up being the factor. Vikings are going to show Daniel Jones some defenses like he hasn't seen. I'm going to take the Vikings to win this one. They're favored by four and a half. I'm not sure I love that spread. But we're going to go with the Vikings to win this by a touchdown. The passing game gets going again with Thielen and Diggs. And everybody's happy after this one. So let's go Vikings to win and to cover on the road against Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. The New York Jets go to the Eagles. The Jets coming off a bye week. Sam Darnold still not clear of mono. The Eagles off that huge Thursday night win on the road at Green Bay. Going in as a 1-2 team, going into Green Bay, and then getting soused early. They were down big early in that game, but then came back, won that game 34-27, had a couple of goal line stands, did a great job stopping the Packers. That got them to 2-2, two two, gave them some confidence. The Eagles win this game. I mean, I don't want to say big. I would say 14 is big, but the spread is 14 and a half. So with no Darnold, you know what? I'm going to lay it. I'm going to lay the 14 and a half. I'm taking Philadelphia winning a cover. Uh, that 14 and a half. They'll win by 17 or more. The Ravens and the Steelers. This game's a little different than it typically looks on the schedule. Every time the schedule comes out, you look at Steelers, Ravens. Okay, this is going to be a great game. What do we like in this one? Well, the Ravens are coming off two losses. Now, the Steelers did get a win last week. Uh, to get off the schneid. So the Steelers are 1-3. and three. They, on a Monday night, took care of business against the Cincinnati Bengals. Steelers are a dog at home, a three-and-a-half-point dog. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like that at all. I'm not sure I'd like Baltimore to win this one. You know what? Let's go with Pittsburgh with the upset. Pittsburgh with the upset, and obviously they'll get inside that three-and-a-half, so I can still win with the spread even if the Baltimore Ravens win. I just feel like Pittsburgh may be ready to turn the corner a little bit. They're not a great football team right now. But I think they're good enough to, at home, ride the momentum of that win last week and get to 2-3. and three. That would knock the Ravens at 2-3. and three. Let's go to the Steelers with the upset win over the Ravens at home. Patriots take on the Redskins. Um, uh, the Patriots have faced two oh, oh, oh for teams this year. They faced the Dolphins earlier. They faced the Redskins. New England's favored by 15 on the road. Lay it. New England wins and covers the 15. The Jaguars and the Panthers. This one's sweet. Now, the Texans are the youngest franchise, but the second youngest brother are these two, Jaguars and Panthers. I'm torn on this one. Kyle Allen against Gardner Minshew was not what we were promised at the beginning of the year, but I do think it's going to end up being a really good football game. I think the Panthers, just overall, better football team than the Jaguars. I think it's a close game, or I should say a low-scoring game, but I do think the Panthers are in the end going to pull away in this one. They're going to win this by 4, 21-17. That's more than three and a half. So let's get the Panthers with a win and a cover over the Jaguars. The Broncos, 0-4 Broncos, going to the Chargers 2-2. Two two. Chargers favored by 6.5 at home. I think the Broncos will play this one close. 
I'm kind of going against against what I originally thought. I do think the Chargers will win, but I think the Broncos will get inside that number. Let's give the Chargers the win, give the Broncos the cover. The Packers and Cowboys, ooh, what a game that's going to be. Sunday afternoon, the Cowboys are favored by three and a half. I think the Cowboys are going to win this by more than that. I think the Cowboys win this by a touchdown. I think the Packers will come in and put some points on the board, but the Cowboys will rebound from that Sunday night loss to the Saints. They get a win and a cover over the Packers, and then Sunday night we will all in Houston be paying attention to this one because it's the upcoming opponent, Kansas City Chiefs, and a division opponent, the opponent after the Chiefs, the Colts, on Sunday night. Kansas City's an 11-point favorite. The Colts are coming off a loss. I do think the Chiefs are going to win, but I'm going to get the Colts cover in this one. I think they're going to get inside that. I think this is a 10-point game max. I think the Colts will get inside. They're not going to quite get revenge for last year because they're not going to win this game, but I think the Chiefs win it. But the Colts do get inside that number. And the Monday night, Browns, the 49ers. It's going to be a good football game. Really good football game. San Francisco favored by four. Browns going out to play another night game. They played a Monday night and a Sunday night already. They're going out to play a Monday night. I'm going to go with the 49ers. They're coming off a bye week. They're playing at home on a Monday night. Browns got to travel. Let's go with the 49ers to win and also cover the four. They're going to win this by a touchdown. Won't be more than that. It'll be about a touchdown. But the 49ers get the win and the cover. So there you go. All right. Next segment. Last segment. It's our players segment. We do this every single week. We turn over the last segment to the players. We've got the final word, Drew Doherty. We've got player reporter. A lot for you in this final segment. Stay right where you are. One final segment of this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter. Glad to be with you. And typically on this final segment, we have a couple of staples for sure. We have player reporter brought to you by Arctic. And we also have the final word, Brought to you by Drew Doherty. Now, I like to add in something that has to do with the players in the final segment each and every Friday. But I'm making one exception. And I'm making one exception because of what Sunday is. It's Founders Day. October 6th, 2019. 20 years to the day that Bob McNair and the city of Houston found out that football was coming back. Drew Doherty did an unbelievable podcast that featured interviews with Mr. McNair, featured sound from back in 1999. It's an amazing, it's an amazing podcast. And I wanted to make sure that I played it because I, I, I was sitting listening to it. A lot of times I'll take stuff and I'll just put it in. I'll listen to different pieces of it. When people send me stuff to put on the show, I was hanging on every word. It's really, really well done. And it tells a really good story. For a lot of people that may not know the story of how the Texans started, Mr. McNair tells some pretty great stuff in this interview, and I figured, you know what? Drew spent a lot of time on this. It's tremendous. I want to play it for you guys. So we've got three things we're going to do. We're going to start off with, though, Player Reporter brought to you by Arctic, the official coolers and tumblers of the Houston Texans. This is RTICcoolers.com. Arctic coolers overbuilt, not overpriced. Player Reporter in our world means B-Scar TV. This week, it's emojis and group chats. Well, here you go. <clears throat> Sing on? Is it on? Are we good? Okay. Welcome back to another episode of B Scar TV. We have some special guests today. Jay Reed, how you feel? How you feel? Hey, what's up, folks? How we doing today, man? Big hey, chillin'. Big chillin'. Hey, you got the you got the Arctic hat on, man. The swag is crazy. Swag, come on. You know, come up Arctic representing the brand. Jay, I appreciate you being here, man. You are. Uh, you have been a great addition to the squad and to the Rock Boys. <laughs> the Rock Boys been out there. 
Hey, come back, man. Get over here, man. Do you ever put your group chat on Do Not Disturb? Nah, I can't. That's forbidden. Forbidden. Can't have it on Do Not Disturb. It's got to be active at all times. No doubt. Both of my uh, phones on silent. Messages, too. I just don't like my phone ringing that much. You know, all the beeping. So I, so I, I silence it. I'm going to read it, though. Now I'm going to get back to everybody. No, my phone's on silence all the time anyway, so I'll just flip it upside down if I don't want to hear it. But, I mean, when I'm in a group chat with my brothers and a couple buddies, they send 150 text messages in a half hour. I don't need my phone to be vibrating 150 times in 30 minutes, you know? What's your favorite emoji? Favorite emoji? Ah. That one. <laughs> probably the smirky face. The smirky face can mean so many things in 2019. That's my probably, that's my favorite emoji. Are you a LOL guy or a haha guy? Yo, you know what crazy some crazy thing happened yesterday? So I think my brother was texting me or sending like a, a meme to the group chat or something like that. And I responded, ha ha ha, LOL. So you was really rolling. Yeah, I was, I was laughing. I was laughing, laughing. Like, real life. Real life laughing. What'd he say? Hmm, let's find out. <laughs> my mom used to be like, it's 107 out there. I don't care. I just want to be outside. <laughs> Jake, I appreciate you being here in H-Town hey, once again and uh, coming on B-Scar TV, man. Appreciate Rock you. boys. Come on, man. Get on. Get in here. All right, all right. Everybody, pick up their instrument. Now, what you can't see on that video, which is a shame, is you can't see the video. You can't see the three rock boys playing all their instruments with that music going. You got the you got the gist of it with the music, but you kind of got to watch the video to see them queuing up the guitars and the drums and everything else they had going on. That's pretty good stuff. The Rock Boys, Woody Merciless, Brent Scarlett, and Jacob Martin. All right, it's time for the final word with Drew Doherty. And this week, it's with one of the Lunch Pail crew. You got the Rock Boys. You got the Lunch Pail crew. DJ Reader has been absolutely awesome this year. He's an awesome interview, and he sat down with Drew. Thanks so much. We've got DJ Reader with us, and DJ, another big game ahead. But let's talk about what you guys as a front seven have been doing this season seems like over the last few weeks really kind of finding a rhythm oh uh, yeah we're trying to get more comfortable with each other um a lot of guys that have played together before we're just kind of getting that rhythm of the season and just trying to do better improve each week you know we talked with jj watt on wednesday and he had many many good things to say he basically had this laundry list of all the reasons that you are a good teammate because you chase down screens you're good in the run game he knows where you are at all times you're creating pressure up the middle what's it like having the season you're having on a personal level? Um, feels good, you know, but um, it's just great, man. You have those guys out there rushing with you, and, you know, it's a fun time. They're going to be where they're supposed to be, especially in the run game and stuff like that. They do a good job of creating the edge, the way I can take advantage inside. And, you know, him and Witt, with the presence they create off the edge, it helps me out a lot in the middle. And, you know, so just able to help those guys out and get pressure to those guys. Hopefully the quarterback can't step up so they can get sacks. It's not surprising to us who've been watching the team yeah. for a few years. It's not surprising, you know, because we also hear JJ say these things, you know, on a regular basis, and he's not yeah. been just saying it this year. Have you been surprised at all, though, by what you've been able to do? No, I just I know what work I put in. I put in a lot of work this off season. Now. It was important to me just to be better for as a teammate. I see those guys progressing, and I just want to progress and just get better. And so, you know, it doesn't surprise me. I'm 
I'm blessed and I'm happy that I'm able to do it right now. And, you know, I'm just excited and glad the season's going good. As a defense, you guys are doing a great job of getting the takeaways. Yeah. You going to get in on the uh, takeaway game Yeah, I got to get on the action, man. It's, What's um, going on? Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to get there, man. I'm trying to make some plays, get there. Uh, I got to make some more. I got to make some more, get in on the takeaway action. Uh, I almost got a couple of recoveries on the fumbles, but I got to do better. All right, we're going to hold you uh, to that one, all right? All right. Let's talk about Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons, yep. a very skilled guy who's got a lot of experience in this mm. league, 12th season in the NFL. What's the challenge with him? Just a good quarterback, a lot of weapons. And, um, you know, that's always a fearful challenge. Um, but we're ready for it. You know, you, you always fear those kind of guys, but we're excited for it. And know how we play as a defense, know what we do. And just excited to go out there on Sunday and play. we got a couple of days left to get ready. So um, we're going to keep studying them. But he does a good job of utilizing his weapons. Uh, stays in the pocket. Doesn't get out of the pocket too crazy. But, you know, he's a, he is mobile. It's not like he's a, he's a grandpa standing back there. Like a lot of offensive lines in yeah. the fifth week of the season, there's some mixing and matching going on. Mm-hmm. There's some banged-up parts there. What yeah. do you make of that Atlanta offensive line? Um, They're good. They do a good job in doing what they do. They got some veteran leaders up there, um, got a good left tackle. Center's very savvy. And then they're just kind of mixing and matching pieces. But those guys work decent together, and yeah. they're doing a good job of mixing in. You know, just had some tough losses, so they're fighting. But um, – I think they're a decent group, and it's going to be a good challenge for us on Sunday. All right, you're part of the Lunch Pail crew. Yes, is there a union? Is there a rivalry with friendly, uh, friendly wise with the Rock Boys, the, no, the linebacker no, there, crew? No, there's a union. We, we collab with those guys all the time. That's, yeah. how, that's how we get our nice Instagram pictures, and those guys get those good sacks, and we just have fun. But, um, you know, that's a fun group. The Rock Boys are they're lit. But uh, LPC, we have collabs with them. <laughs> the Rock Boys are lit. The LPC, we have collabs with them. Well, Thanks so much for the time, DJ Reader. Best of luck on Sunday against the Falcons. Hope you get that turnover and hope a win comes for these Houston Texans. Yes, sir. No problem. Appreciate it. And finally this evening, celebrating Founders Day on Sunday, you got to know the backstory. Drew Doherty did a whale of a job with this. This will help you appreciate how football came to be in Houston, thanks to one man, Bob McNair. What were you doing in early October of 1999? J.J. Watt was a 10-year-old in Pewaukee, Wisconsin. Deshaun Watson was four, growing up in Georgia. The top song in the country was Heartbreaker, a Mariah Carey collaboration with Jay-Z. While the movie Double Jeopardy, starring Ashley Judd and Tommy Lee Jones, was winning at the box office. There was no NFL team in Houston. The Oilers had packed up and left after the 96 season. So the city was in the middle of its third straight autumn without a team to cheer. But on October 6th of that year, everything changed. And it did so because of Bob McNair. But first, we've got to rewind a little bit. Before the run-and-shoot days of the late 80s and early 90s, and well before Love You Blue in the 70s, it's the early 1960s, and McNair is a young businessman who's been in town for just a few years. He was an Oilers fan. Now, I remember going to the first Oilers game over in Jefferson Stadium, and they were playing on a clay field. I don't know if there was a blade of grass on that field. It was... It was bad. <laughs> I knew a couple of the players, and, I mean, you could holler to them, and they'd holler back. I mean, they'd hear you because <laughs> there weren't that many other people out there. Those early Oilers won a pair of AFL championships, and in the late 1970s, the steel curtain of Pittsburgh was the only thing that kept them from the Super Bowl. A decade later, they'd stockpile talent on those run-and-shoot teams, but ultimately come up short creatively and in heartbreaking fashion 
again and again and again. Bud Adams took the team to Tennessee after the 1996 season wrapped, but he did not kill the NFL football dreams of Houston and Bob McNair. McNair had become a billionaire in the 1990s when he sold his company, Cogen, to Enron. But he wasn't new to the scene, to the powers that be in the NFL. I used to go to the games with Bud Adams and sit in his suite, and the commissioner would come down occasionally, and when he did, Bud would sit him next to me. So I knew Tagliabue, and I'd met some of the other owners. I had the political backing of the community, and I felt that I had a good opportunity to put together a plan that would lead to a stadium that would be acceptable. And I knew that I would be acceptable because I I knew these folks and they knew me. And I had the financial resources to do it. But doing it was easier said than done. Standing in the way was the second largest city in the country. A place that lost not one, but two NFL teams two years before Houston did. Los Angeles was the competition, if you want to call it that. The unfortunate thing, but not surprising, was that uh, the league really favored Los Angeles. It was really not a fair competition. You know, it was a bigger TV market. They could make it happen there. That's what they wanted to do. It was an uphill battle, and that was just another instance of being the underdog. I've been the underdog most of my life. That didn't faze me. The NFL desperately wanted a team there. And it gave the city every chance it could to make it happen. But McNair was patient. The NFL would say to those seeking the franchise, you have to have your plan in for the stadium and the financial plan. Everything's got to be in place by a certain date. And we'd get to that date. We had it. They wouldn't. They'd extend the date. They'd say, well, we're going to move this out, give them another 90 days or whatever. And they did that, I think, twice. And I finally told Tagliabue, I said, Paul, look, Either we're going to have a firm date and it's a drop-dead deal or I'm out of here. And I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to hang around if you keep doing this. They set a date for like July 30th. They awarded the franchise to Los Angeles on a contingency basis and they gave them another 30 days to finalize their deal. And so as we left the meeting, uh, the media all, you know, hit me and said, well, how do you feel now that you've lost? I said, well, we haven't lost. And said, oh, yeah, you, you've lost. You know, it's going to Los Angeles. I said, I don't think so. And they said, well, why is that? I said, they'll never get their deal put together. And then when that happens, it automatically goes to us. It's already been approved that way. So I feel good. I'm just waiting for the 30 days to expire. It was October 5th, and the Houston sports media was already there in Atlanta covering the Astros and Braves in the playoffs. But the possibility of pro football coming back to town had a lot of people excited. Here's a snip from Channel 2's newscast the night before. In just a matter of hours, we should know if Houston is getting the 32nd NFL franchise. Our big story tonight, Houston's NFL shot. After three hours of meetings, league owners started the countdown clock for a critical decision that may hinge on a proposal by Houston businessman Bob McNair. We're happy to have the opportunity to, uh, to hopefully bring this to a conclusion. We've been working on it a long time, and uh, so we're, we're ready for some decisions. We'd like to see that happen. Tonight, all the NFL will say is that McNair's proposal is impressive and that they are confident a decision will be made tomorrow. When McNair embarked on the journey to get a pro franchise, he had an idea of what it might cost. <laughs> that idea turned out to be a little bit low. 
And it was interesting because when I first started on that trip, Bud said, this probably cost $300 million. So I said, okay, well, at this point, we were at 600 okay? I had determined that 650 was it. I was not going to pay more than 650 After that, he met with a pair of owners. One of them was Carolina's Jerry Richardson, who explained the situation to McNair. We're not going to get it approved uh, unless we get it $700 million. That way, each team was getting a payment of like $5 million a year for like two or three years. I said, well, there's no way I can justify it. And he said, well, what if we let you pay for it over three years? So I said, thinking about time value of money, and I said, well, that helps, and, but that's not enough. He said, well, what if we give you a Super Bowl? So I said, okay, and that's what nailed the deal. And the deal meant Houston was back in the NFL. We can say Houston again. Absolutely. Houston, we do not have a problem anymore. <laughs> we do not have a problem. Finally, we get a 30-second football team in the National Football League, and that's where we start our news. NFL Commissioner Paul Tagliabue laid out the reasons McNair and Houston got a franchise. I think the uh, key thing was uh, the, both the quality of the stadium, the fan interest uh, in uh, the NFL uh, in Texas, and the quality of the ownership uh, in Bob McNair. Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones was glad to have a football team south down I-45 once again. They were determined to have that NFL team and have this expansion franchise come to Houston. I'm really uh, uh, I'm glad that they were rewarded. We've done our due diligence. We've done our homework. Everything is in place. And it became obvious, I think, to everyone that, uh, that this was just a very solid proposal. Steve Patterson, who would ultimately be a senior vice president and chief development officer for the team in the early days, was a part of that crew back in 99 that helped McNair land the expansion franchise. He was ecstatic after the news was announced. And I think it's really a great story about uh, dreaming the great dreams and pulling them off. Uh, a lot of people didn't think we'd do it, but we did. Houston is a first-class major league city, and I think it's important that, uh, that we have the major league sports there. And, and to not have the NFL there uh, was just something that was unacceptable to me. And I'm happy to say that that, that condition is not going to exist for much longer. And I'm proud of Houston, and I know that it'll be a great showcase for the NFL. McNair and company left Atlanta, quickly got to work on getting set for opening day just a bit less than three years away in 2002. They still had to name the team, give it some colors, uniforms, assemble a personnel and business staff, acquire players, get a stadium and practice facility built, amongst other things. But in the end, the man who described himself as an underdog was an underdog no more. Bob McNair brought NFL football back to the city of Houston. And this weekend, we should all give thanks. We will celebrate Bob McNair on Sunday at Founders Day, he will go up in the Ring of Honor alongside Andre Johnson. It's going to be a wonderful day. Hope you're going to be there with us to enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And as always, go Texans.